0: I've had a few unusual conversations in my time, you may not be surprised to hear. One of the most unusual was an exchange I had with a lady who'd found a log in her back garden and she came to see me because she was convinced she could see the face of Jesus in this log. A quick trawl of the uh, tabloid press uh, reveals that she's not alone. For example, The Daily Mail of the 28th of December 2011 reported that one Sarah Crane from Orpington in Kent was stunned when she hung her laundry out to dry and discovered the face of Jesus staring back at her from a crumpled sock. On the 29th of June 2012, the Metro reported how the face of Jesus was spotted on the side of a Chinese takeaway in Sunderland. But probably my personal favourite, again from the Daily Mail, uh, which uh, in October 2012 reported how atheist father of three, Kenny Idenham, had found Jesus in a patch of mould growing behind his fridge. Though these stories are obviously somewhat tongue-in-cheek, it's worth asking, especially in view of our readings this evening, how they stack up against the biblical evidence. Well, whilst our offerings from the Book of Exodus and St John's Gospel don't involve a crumpled sock, um, a local Chinese takeaway, or even a Jesus-shaped patch of mould behind the fridge, they do recount some pretty weird happenings. First, we get the iconic story of Moses and the burning bush, out of which the voice of God speaks. Then, we get a passage from St John's Gospel, in which, again, God's voice is heard. Had the Daily Mail been up and running back then, Both of these stories may well have made the headlines. The technical term for an appearance of God is a theophany. It's from the Greek words theos, God, and phanos, an appearance, or a kind of bringing to light. It seems to me that our two readings uh, this evening are linked very much by this idea of theophany, of God appearing what I perhaps have a little irreverently uh, referred to in the title of this sermon as God's appearing act. Why is theophany important? Well, it's important because when God appears, when God does his appearing act, particularly in the Old Testament, everything changes. Walter Brueggemann Uh, the great Old Testament scholar, describes theophany as an encounter in the life of a person or community whereby the future is radically altered and abruptly redefined. Probably the most powerful instance in the Bible of this radical redefinition is the burning bush episode. The excerpt we heard this evening uh, stops at verse 6, and it's a mere taster, actually, of what is to come. If we were to read on, we would discover that um, this appearance of God, this theophany, leads not only to the revelation of the divine name, of God's name, but also to a total reorientation of Moses' life and his vocation it also lays the groundwork for the exodus which is the event which above all others defines and makes its mark upon god's people so theophany god's appearing act changes things and it changes people by and large it's not a comfortable experience it is disruptive and disturbing, and actually jolly inconvenient. Biblically speaking, theophany isn't, uh, you know, some kind of warm and fuzzy, nice feeling of comfort. It is a direct encounter with the raw material of holiness. God says to Moses, "Draw not nigh hither." Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. God's appearing act ought to invoke in us a sense of awe and trembling that draws us to our knees and makes us remove our metaphorical shoes. But hang on a minute, you may be thinking. This talk of awe and holiness is all very well. But when was the last time any of us here this evening heard God talking to us out of a burning bush? No hands. Good. Um, (laughs) Men in white coats uh, can, can, can stay at the entrance to chapel. It's fine. Maybe you have encountered the raw material of holiness. Maybe there has been a time in your life when God has, in some sense, appeared to you. But my guess is that it doesn't happen every day. Indeed, you may feel that actually it's never happened. It's easy, isn't it, to feel discouraged, uh, to feel as though we're not quite up to scratch as Christians if we haven't had an overwhelming and dramatic experience of the presence of God. If you feel like this, you are certainly not alone. When I was working in the parish a few years ago, um, rather than talking about God's appearing act, people were far more concerned with talking about God's disappearing act. Why can't I see God? people would ask me. Why won't he reveal himself to me? Or even more disturbingly, why has God abandoned me? It's true that for many people, God does seem at some point in their lives to have done a disappearing act. And the hurt caused by this disappearance is something which no amount of crumpled socks local Chinese takeaways, or mould behind fridges, is going to heal. Walter Brueggemann rather reassuringly points out that even in the Bible, theophanies are rare. And he's right. We can read through the whole of the Old Testament and discover relatively few direct encounters with the raw holiness of God. And of course, for Christians, the Old Testament is only part of the picture. For as we journey through the story of God's interaction with his people in the pages of the Old Testament, we're drawn inexorably to the moment around which the whole of history pivots, the Incarnation. The Incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ changes everything including our neat and tidy definition of what theophany is. For me, this revolutionary, this transformative nature of incarnation is captured in some wonderful words from a prayer that is used at Holy Communion during the Christmas season. They're words which kept coming back to my mind when I Folk back in the parish would share with me that feeling that God had done a disappearing act. The prayer says this, in him, in Jesus, we see our God made visible and so are caught up in the love of the God we cannot see. In Jesus we see our God made visible and so are caught up in the love of the God we cannot see. Do you want to see God? Then look at Jesus. Do you want to know what God is like? Then look at Jesus. Do you want God to reveal himself to you? Then look at Jesus. For Jesus Christ is God's great appearing act. Jesus Christ is, by definition, theophany the appearing of God. He is theophany personified, made flesh, theophany dwelling among us, theophany dying among us, to be raised again and lifted up in glory. Theophany changes things and it changes people. Jesus changes things and he changes people. But even once we've got hold of this, even once we've understood that we can do no better than to look at the person of Christ in our search for closeness with God, living the life of faith is still not plain sailing. Intriguingly, we get a hint, if you like, of this tension, of this ever-present niggle at the very end of our second reading this evening. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Jesus hid himself. Jesus did a disappearing act. I wonder whether that resonates with any of you at all. Whether at some point during your journey of faith, perhaps even for a large part of it, Jesus, God, seems to have hidden himself, and no matter what you do, you can't seem to find him. The idea of a God who has a penchant for playing hide-and-seek needs, I would suggest, some attention. I don't claim to have um, fully worked out answers to the whole host of questions this raises, but I can suggest a place to begin. There's a wonderful little book uh, which has helped me, more than any kind of great or learned tome, um, has helped me to grapple with this idea of a hide-and-seek God. It's by Cardinal Basil Hume, and it's called, uh, rather endearingly, Basil in Blunderland. I've got a copy here. Um, It's it's a lovely title. Um, Cardinal Hume says he chose the title because uh, his spiritual life is more of a wandering in blunderland Than a resting and relaxing in Wonderland. In the book, he plays a game of hide-and-seek with two children, Kate and Barney. Towards the end of the book, he reflects that, actually, we play hide-and-seek with God all the time. Hume says this, hide-and-seek is a game for lovers, not just for children. It's also a game for God and for you. Sometimes you will be the seeker, at other times the one who is sought. He will, I think, whisper into your ear words from the 17th century philosopher Pascal. Be consoled. You could not be seeking me if you had not found me already. Theophanies, direct encounters with God's raw holiness, are rare. We probably shouldn't go around expecting them. But as my old theological college principal used to say, love has a much better chance of finding us if we seek to put ourselves in its way. By this, I don't mean that we should all go home tonight and earnestly study our crumpled socks or patches of mould behind the fridge for evidence of the face of Christ. But I do mean that we should go home tonight and earnestly pray for a greater knowledge of the one who is, by definition, theophany, God's great appearance, Jesus Christ himself. We ought constantly to be seeking after Constantly to be searching for. Constantly to be putting ourselves in the way of the one who, in whom we see our God made visible. The one who draws us into the love of the God we cannot see. Because as Basil Hume says um, in the closing words of Basil in Blunderland, God says to each of us, Go in search of me. And you will certainly find me.